Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Show, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And before we start today's episode, you might hear a bit of background noise because our neighbours are being dicks again. Yeah. I don't even know what they're fucking doing up there. They're just making noise. <laughs> Loads of it. But it's Friday the 13th, so we are back with another Friday the 13th episode. And this time we are talking about part two. A sequel that was released uh, not even a year after the first no, film. it was a quick one, wasn't it? Yeah, so touching on what we discussed on the first Friday the 13th episode, um, if anyone hasn't listened to it, um, we it's <laughs> a, it have, was a while ago. You might not even remember. Yeah, <laughs> it was a while back. Um, Friday the 13th was a successful slasher film directed by Sean S. Cunningham. Um, Brief plot recap, a bunch of teenagers go to a lake where a child drowned years ago and uh, the child's mum goes out in revenge and kills a bunch of them and gets her head cut off. Yeah, essentially. Uh, in fairness, if you haven't watched Friday the 13th, I, I do recommend watching it. It's yeah. kind of a rite of passage for horror film fans. Uh, I know that not everybody listens will be a horror film fan, but maybe... <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was a massive success. Uh, it it kick started the eighties slasher trend. It did. Um, yeah. Well, the eighties camping slasher trend. I uh, there's so many films that ripped this off. Um, but then you know they noticed this straight away that it was popular, and then we got this part two, uh, which was released on twenty first June nineteen eighty one, directed by Steve Miner, and uh, it was made on a uh, $1,250 million, what, one million two hundred and fifty thousand <laughs> budget. Uh, and it, it made it... Sorry. I shouldn't laugh. Quite finished? Yes, yeah, sorry. Carry on. So it, it was made on that budget and it made its money back. It was very successful as well, uh, which led to a lot of other sequels. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of material. Yeah, we're going to be going for a few years. Um, yeah, with this sequel, it's even within the IMDb trivia, a lot of fans think that this is the best Friday the 13th film, and I really don't agree. Um, it's a good film, it's yeah. certainly not a bad film by no. any means. It's one of the better Friday the 13th sequels. Um, I mean, compare it to something like Jason Goes to Hell or Jason Takes Manhattan and Jason X. This is, you know, leagues better. Um, I think when it comes to franchises, uh, horror film franchises, should I say, uh, generally, and I think 90% of the time, the first film is the best film. Mm. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first film is the best film. Some people may argue part three. Halloween. Ha- ha- Halloween. The first one's the best. Hellraiser. Yeah. The first one is most definitely the best one. Hmm. Friday the 13th, people are a little more divided. Yeah. Personally, hopefully we get to this point of doing a podcast about it, but part four is my favourite. Yeah, mine's a tie between part four and part six. I, I don't think the first film... I don't think it's even the third best, maybe? No, no. It's, it's, um, it's a good... Uh, again, like this one, it's a good film, but it's just... Uh, Compared to what's came after it, it yeah, it's just uh, it's just all right. It's uh, I mean, it's a horror classic. There's no denying that. But I mean, in comparison to other horror films at that time, it's not that superior. No, for for its influence, mm. yes. But there are actual better films influenced by Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Um, bit of trivia about this one. 
Um, there was some full frontal nudity required from Marta Koba, who plays, I believe it's Sandra. Um, but uh, Paramount Pictures realised that she was actually underage and that they took the nudity out of the film. What? How would they not know she was underage? Yeah. Like, prior to hiring her. That's, I'm, I'm sure that's an important lied. detail. I'm assuming it was easier to lie about your age back Maybe. then. Maybe. Actors and actresses, I think, did it very, very um, often. Anastasia um, lied about her age, the she singer. She did lie about her age. <laughs> she did. Little off topic, but is she British? Or no. Is she American? She's American. So, um, sing, pop singer Anastasia lied about her age. She was in her 40s when she said she was in her 20s. <laughs> Oh wow, that's a stretch. No, <laughs> believable. It was it was believable. I I didn't ever question her age. Well, um, she wears glasses. It's hard to tell. When yeah, she she's rocking that strong uh, mum that says she's younger than she is. Look, but took it a little too literally. <laughs> um, Adrian King wanted a shorter role in this film because she got a real life uh, stalker. Yeah, and she pretty much didn't do any acting afterwards. No, she did a few voice roles. So I I don't know what she. Did I mean she's selling wine now to keep? Her she quiet. is Crystal Lake wine. Yeah, she's at um she's gonna be at for the love of horror this year I think it is or Sheffield Horror Con one of the two, um but yeah I mean the story she tells about this stalker is terrifying uh, on the Crystal Lake Memories documentary. It uh it was from Friday the Thirteenth. It's just a crazy fan who uh, just became really obsessed with her. Yeah. So she wanted a shorter role in this one, and her role is very short. It's unscripted. Um, it's all made up as they go along, but and you you can tell, you can tell. There's a good open sequence though. Um, Jason is obviously the killer in this film. Uh, it's his first film, and uh, he was dressed to look like the killer from the Town that Dreaded Sundown. Yes, and he does look the exact same. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> very original. Stuntman Steve Dash has most of the screen time as Jason, but um, he's uncredited, and it's actually credited as Warrington Gillette, who, uh, oh. Warrington Gillette, however you say his surname. Gillette, I'd say, like yeah, the razor. Yeah, like, like the razor. Um, yeah, which is an interesting one, because he only really played him when he had his mask off at the end. Oh, that's very brief. Even at the start, when you see Jason's legs, that's played by the costume designer, who's a woman. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I don't know why they were so obsessed with with uh, crediting this Warrington guy when it was really Steve Dash. And Steve Dash went on to play him after this as well, I believe. Hmm. This Warrington Gillette's probably made a lot of money from oh, a yeah. small amount of uh, yeah. screen time. Uh, Betsy Palmer, Tom Savini and Sean Cunningham, obviously big names involved with the first film. Uh, Sean Cunningham being the director, Tom Savini, special effects, and Betsy Palmer, actress in the film. Uh, they hated the stupid plot of part two <laughs> and all the inconsistencies. Yes, a lot of inconsistencies. Like, this is meant to be set originally two months after the first film, then five years after the first film, yet Jason, who was just a child in the first film, is somehow a full-grown adult. Yeah, but then Jason should never have been a child in the first film. No. I don't think Sean S. Cunningham ever thought there would be a sequel. No. Uh, especially a sequel where Jason is the killer. So I think the ending was meant to be, did she imagine the child in the canoe or not? Yeah. Whereas this film's telling you that, no, she didn't, but he's aged incredibly fast. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's an interesting one, because obviously Jason Voorhees is very well known amongst horror fans for his uh, hockey mask and being the killer of the Friday the 13th franchise. This still 
you know, the first film didn't have him. This only has half of those things. This has Jason, but he doesn't have his hockey mask. As I mentioned, they designed him after the Town of Dread Sundown killer, the Phantom, uh, and he just wears a bag over his head. With a baghead. Yeah, in dungarines. Um, the special effects guy, Carl Fullerton, because uh, it was going to be Tom Savini, but he passed on it to do the burning. Good choice. Good choice. Um, like Stan Winston was offered, but he couldn't do it. Uh, but Carl Fullerton took it on. He went on to work on The Godfather Part 3, Silence of the Lambs, um, Philadelphia. Nice. Yeah, so he's got on some good things. Mm. Uh, Betsy Palmer said she never appeared in another Friday the 13th film after the first one. Betsy Palmer must have had short-term memory loss. Because she is definitely in this film. She is. <laughs> and not just in a, a recap of the first film. No, she she shoots a whole extra scene. She does. Uh, but yeah, she... she could, could you blame her though, really? It's not the most memorable. <laughs> I, mean, I don't remember doing it, I'm well, sure. Well, her role probably isn't the most memorable. It's just a face. She probably did it yeah. in a random studio somewhere. Oh, she did. She wouldn't she, have gone she, on she, set. Yeah, she wouldn't have been did. on set at all. Um, there were actually a lot of accidents on set, mainly towards the end of the film where Jason jumps through a window to grab the uh, final girl. Uh, I think there's a lot of bumping heads and uh, injuries yeah, and such. I can imagine. Uh, Tom McBride. But Warrington Gillette still gets he the He still main, gets the credit. <laughs> credit. Yeah. That's, a, that's meant to be him in that scene. So he did the, one of the biggest stunts in the film and the rest of the film's played by a stuntman. Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. It's probably why there were lots of banged heads. Yeah. Um, Tom McBride, he plays a minor character in this film, but I thought it'd be worth mentioning, because obviously we're an LGBT podcast, and uh, Tom McBride was actually an openly gay actor at the time. Oh, okay. So at the time, in yeah, yeah. 1981... He, he had to turn uh, his on-screen girlfriend down because she actually fancied him in real life. Oh, I see. She, she, uh, oh, okay. She wanted a bit of that D, but uh, he had to turn it down because he wanted a bit of the D as well. Just, <laughs> You know, obviously, didn't want her. But, uh, yeah, no, he was an openly gay actor. He was, did a lot of modelling, um, and he died, sadly, of AIDS in 1995. Oh. But, yeah, I just, I just think that's really worth mentioning, because, I mean, you're the 80s, you not many openly gay actors. No, and, and to not force them into an LGBT role. No, exactly. Or a, a camp role. Exactly. You know, he, he plays a jock, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's... Really? Yeah, that, that is quite unusual for a, a gay actor to be playing that sort of role that's mm. predominantly played by tough straight guys. Uh, Walt Gorney, who obviously plays uh, everyone's favourite creep, Crazy Ralph, uh, he was seen on set Walking around talking to himself many times. Uh, method? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it could just be him. Well, I mean, he probably would have been quite old school. Yeah. And it has a body count of nine. Nine victims. How many was the first one? The first one wasn't that high, was it? The first one was about five or six. Yeah, maybe. And for the plot of the film Mrs. Voorhees is now dead and Camp Crystal Lake is shut down but a camp next to the infamous place is stalked by an unknown assailant well it's not unknown I've just told you it is yes Jason Voorhees spoiler alert and we open with a child singing Incy Spider and walking in puddles Itsy Bitsy Itsy what's Incy Wincy Spider? <laughs> that's what I've heard it sang as before Itsy Bitsy is it? Okay, yeah. listeners, write in, tell us, which is it? Incy, wincy, spite. Yeah. Oh. What, they both sound right. Yeah. Shit. 
drive away. There's kids like jumping in puddles and shit. And uh, yeah, it's just on the side of the road. Yeah, and Jason's legs appear, and this is where he's played by the female costume designer. <laughs> um, she's very manly legs. <laughs> well, she's got hairy legs. She's wearing jeans. <laughs> And uh, we see him walking towards a house, and then we're introduced to Alice again from the first film. So, we're assuming that Alice is back home. Yeah. To where she lived yeah. before she went to the camp. So, wherever, see, well, she said she had business back in California in mm-hmm. the first film. So, I'm assuming she's back in California. Yeah. Because something that I found a bit strange is that she said she had business in California... Camp Crystal Lake is in New Jersey. Yeah. They're the opposite sides of America. <laughs> so if this is California, then I, d- I don't know what fucking plane Jason got on. Oh, <laughs> spoiler alert, that's Jason's legs. Yeah. Um, she's wearing the best outfit to bed. She's absolutely serving <laughs> in this green outfit. Well, she's, I think she's accidentally fallen asleep rather than she wears... But what was she doing in the room? There's no fucking TV or anything in there. No, she's just she's on her bed. on the bed. Fully clothed. Wearing green plaid dungarees <laughs> over a slightly different green coloured turtleneck. Honestly, she's borderline fashion icon territory <laughs> at this stage. Which is quite strange because she dressed quite plain in the first film. She's given me uh, Wendy Torrance. Yes, green, she is. The Green Goblin yeah. shagged Wendy Torrance. Uh-huh. And then we got Alice. Yes. She's having nightmares about the first film, which is quite convenient because then that gives us like a five-minute recap of the first film. And she's conveniently not having a dream from her point of view. Yeah. But from the point of view that... <laughs> A camera man. <laughs> from the actually so, seeing the film so play it's out. Just, so they're playing it out as if she's having this dream, but it's not from her perspective. It's from the audience's p- perspective. Yeah, so we see her find all her friends there talking to Mrs. Voorhees, uh, chopping off Mrs. Voorhees' head, Jason jumping out the lake, and the final line where she's like, well, he's still there. And then she wakes up. She wakes up and uh, her phone rings. She goes and has a conversation with her mum. Uh, and then... Something that's uh, quite frequent in this film that I only just realised this time around. She does a lot of fucking walking around. She does, yeah. She does like she does about two laps around her apartment. She does. She does. Um, yeah. She has a shower. What? What does she? We were struggling a bit with what she was wearing before she got in the shower. So I thought it was a kimono or or a dressing gown that sort of style. But, um, so she changes in her bedroom. Yeah. Into this kimono. Uh, I'm gonna call it a kimono because it looks like one. Um, so then she wears that as she crosses less than a metre in whip hallway to the bathroom where she takes it off. Yeah. It, 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 it doesn't make any sense as to why she would wear that. It's like, I get it. You know, the actress, what's the actress? Adrian King mm. probably had a no nudity clause in her But then just contract. skipped her being in the shower. I get it. So then why, why did we have to see her take off her top from behind? To put on a kimono to then walk very, very briefly to the bathroom to then take it off again and get in the shower. Yeah, and then once she's in the shower, we get a very comical shot of her opening the curtain and staring straight at the cameraman. Yeah, there's some sort of strange noise and she stares straight at the camera, like dead on. And um, there's a, another phone call, isn't there? 
after yes. this strange noise. This is uh, Jason calling us. Somehow he knows how to use a phone. Well, we're assuming it's Jason. No one actually says anything. <laughs> it's just kind of like um, a deadline. And, uh, but we're assuming this is Jason. Uh, so she gets a phone call. Now, this isn't in times of mobile phones. This is 1981. <laughs> yeah. But that phone call makes her act like someone's in her apartment. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't understand why. Uh, why would they call whilst they're in their apart- her apartment? But she goes to investigate and search. Um, what she actually finds is her window open in a kitchen. Yeah, but before this, she locks the door. Yeah, like only just she'd been <laughs> yeah. asleep she'd yeah. been in the shower she'd been on two phone calls and she decides now's the only time to lock the door but she locks the door after wandering around thinking yeah. somebody after is in looking her around the whole apartment if somebody's in your apartment then surely locking the door is just going to make it more difficult to escape <laughs> yeah it's her own fault if someone isn't there because she left it fucking unlocked after she was part of a killing spree <laughs> yeah <You know>, like, <laughs> Did that not bother her at all? Make her, you know, upper security a bit? But my favourite part is when she gets into the kitchen, the window's open, <laughs> and it's a ground floor flat because you can see the bottom of some stairs outside, and she gets a cat thrown at her. Yeah, a cat is actually thrown right at her. <laughs> so it's a very old school jump scare of a cat um, appearing after somebody investigates a strange noise. But in this instant... The cat is very, very clearly thrown through that window. <laughs> Unless that cat can fucking fly, it hasn't crawled, it hasn't jumped at her. It's, yeah, it took it like a foot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I just can't believe, you know, I can't believe someone had the job of actually throwing a cat through a fucking window. Yeah, that poor cat. I oh, know. What was the point? And, uh... But all's all right now because it's just a cat. Yeah. So she pops... What she does in times of creepiness or danger is she pops the kettle on the stove. She did, well, like that's, she did that's what she does film. in the first film as well, yeah. She does that in the first film. She can make herself a nice cup of tea to relax. Girl after me own art. And she leaves the get, cat in a house. Yeah, leaves the cat. I think it's her cat. There's oh, it's actually her dish. cat. There's okay. a dish on the floor next to the cat, so it must be her cat. And she gives off the cat lady energy, doesn't she? Yeah, I suppose. Um, but, so she goes to grab the milk for a cup of tea. And she sees an old friend of the Christie. Yeah, Pamela Voice's head is in her fridge. <laughs> Voice's head is in her fridge. Just chilling, just literally. Ch- uh, uh. <laughs> and then she gets an ice pick to the head. She does get an ice pick. Alice, that is not Pamela Voice. So yeah. She's already been through enough. So Alice gets grabbed from behind and gets an ice pick into the side of, into the side of her head. Yeah, I don't understand ice picks. No, me neither. Like, in Britain, there's not really... Like, we just get ice cubes. So I don't understand the need for an ice pick. Yeah, I don't know what you do with it. No. Apart from kill people in films, apparently. Yeah, essentially. Like, I mean, basic instinct. Yeah. The the whole of it's based on ice picks. It's true. Well, Jason... I don't even know where to get one from. Jason's very considerate, and he takes the kettle off the stove after killing her. <laughs> he does. He does he take the kettle off the stove. Make sure her house doesn't burn down. <laughs> yeah. It was probably ready, and he's making himself a nice coffee. Yeah, making a brew. And uh, then we get an exploding fucking title card. Yeah. Like, 
<laughs> you get a bit of glass breaking in the first one. This one is an actual explosion. <laughs> and it looks like the font of an action film. Like the big part two, big metal part two. But this is the bit that gives you like, your nostalgia. I, lo- I love the opening yeah. credits to all the Friday the 13th films. What's the one where he does the James Bond thing and throws the machete? <laughs> yeah. Part six. Uh, yes, yeah, no, it, it has is. to be part six. There can't six. be any other film. Yeah. But I, I love part three because I love the soundtrack to part three. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is your iconic music. Absolutely. So, yeah, it always gives a bit of a nostalgia. Well, after chill. a 15 minute opening sequence, we are, we get the credits and then we are introduced to Budget Bon Jovi. Budget John Bon Jovi. Yeah, he does look like John Bon Jovi. Jeff. I, yeah, so Jeff, his name's Jeff. Because uh, I I didn't write anyone's name down because I didn't yeah. actually catch half of them. He's there with his uh, underage girlfriend Sandra. Yes. Uh, and they call their friend Ted for directions, uh, and Crazy Ralph appears and t- says to them, "I told the others, they didn't believe me. You're all doomed." Yeah, but and, they don't uh, react. No, they don't react. You just you They're see him. Fine. You see him ride off in the background on his yeah, bike. Yeah, and they just like okay, and just <laughs> carry on. Yeah. Um, the truck <laughs> in van. I know they call him Crazy Ralph, but he is but right. This is twice he's been correct, and they are all doomed. Yeah, and it's got a death curse. Uh, well, after this, they get their truck towed, and uh, they're absolutely fuming about it. But they find now is all the work of their prankster friend and his ugly fucking shirt, Ted. <laughs> Top lad. Top lad Ted. Who? Top lad uh, Ted. Who is? The equivalent of that fucking arsehole who does the Bugs Bunny impression in the first film. Yeah. I can't even remember his name. I always forget his name. In slasher films, there's always the funny but obnoxious one. Um, So in the first film, his name... Was his name Ted? Teddy? No. No, it wasn't. No. I, I don't know. What was his name? I can't remember. It may have been Ted. It may have been Ted. He's an arsehole either way. Yeah, um, yeah. But it, it's that jokester, prankster, not very funny. Yeah. Um, this one's really not very funny because he's very tame. Like, he yeah. isn't even... I wouldn't even say he was annoying. He's just there. He's just a bit of a just goon. unneeded. A bit of a goon. Um, they have a... You see him driving for a bit and then we are brought in in the middle of a conversation and Ted says, so a bear wiped his ass with a rabbit. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't know what that conversation I was. No, it's just chatting shit. There's a branch in the middle of the road. Ooh. And uh, they go out to move it. And uh, Sandra finds the sign for Crystal Lake. <gasps> and we yeah. hear a bit of a... Yeah. And they talk some crap about Camp Blood. Yeah. Uh, and there's somebody watching them. You see them being watched. There's a pair of legs watching. A, a lot of this film is a pair of legs yeah. watching people. Doing stuff. Or people watching a pair of legs. We then get a slingshot to the arse. Yeah, so at the camp, a very fit-looking young lady. She's very um, toned and and she's wearing hot pants. And I have her down as hot pants through all of my notes. <laughs> uh, she's got about $20 worth of denim stuck up her arse crack, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, she gets a slick shot, shotted pebble to her yeah. ass cheek. And the guy, and her name's Terry, and the guy who did his name is Scott. And he just, 
He just stands there after and gives this really smug look like he'd done the best thing that's ever happened to <laughs> yeah. her. He's so proud of us himself, <laughs> but she's actually not that insulted. No. She's, yeah, she's, no, the scene goes absolutely nowhere. Yeah, she's, she's actually a bit pleased with what's gone down. Yeah. And we get the character introductions um, by Paul, who is running the place. Uh, so it's a new councillor training centre. Yeah. Oh, it's next door to camp. So it's not a day. camp. So um, in a lot of these camp-based films, uh, particularly Friday the 13th, um, actually, no, in Friday the 13th, a lot of them don't actually have any campers. No, no, it's always... Like sleep Sleepaway Camp, yeah. they made a big point of having young people play campers. I don't think it was until part six where we actually got to see actual kids at the camp. Yeah. Um, part, part five was a halfway home, so that yeah. didn't really count. Yeah, yeah. Part four, it wasn't even a camp. There wasn't a camp there. No. It was just the same lake. Yeah. I don't know how big this lake is. But then but... In part six, you actually see, I think it was Crystal Lake, and actually see uh, kids there mm. for the first time. Um, is that the weird dead meat? Yes. Yeah, yeah it is, yeah. Um, so, as these characters are being introduced, we see a red car driving towards the camp. And Crazy Ralph is just staring at the car because yeah. he's joined in the tradition of this film, just standing around staring. Uh, it's Ginny... a proper clapped out car though, isn't it? Yeah. Proper yeah. shit <laughs> Well, the person driving the car is one of the better final girls of the franchise, Ginny. Yes. Played by Amy Steele, who's likeable. Yeah, she was yeah, in April's absolutely. Fool's Day. And uh, she's arriving late to the meeting and Paul is absolutely fuming with her. Mm. He is not happy. He's not best pleased. But in fairness, considering this lake is out in the middle of nowhere, she's not actually that late. I don't know what fucking difference it makes, really. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I don't know what she's late for. Yeah, he only just started his introduction thing as well, so it's not making that much difference to him. So Ginny's his assistant. Yes, she promises she'll never be late ever again. Oh, yeah, a little bit of flirting helps her out. We get a bit of exposition, um, where her car's still playing up, and Paul says, Cars are like kids. Use a bit of that child psychology you're majoring in. <laughs> oh. Oh, I wonder where that's going to uh, come in later on. That might come in handy. Uh, she makes a comment about it as well. And then we skip to a campfire scene. Something that really was taken from this film specifically. Uh, and used in so many later slasher films. Yeah, like Madman. Yeah, Madman. Sleepaway Camp 2 happens in. Uh, yeah. The Burning, which I believe is actually the same year as this. Yeah. Um, but, uh... It's quite an obvious scene, though. It's yeah. quite an obvious gag scene. Yeah. Paul says, I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason, and then we get to hear the whole backstory about Jason again. Yeah, he says Jason was never found. He saw his mum beheaded. He's fully grown now. Uh, saw his mum beheaded. Uh, and he's out there seeking revenge, eating random wildlife. Uh, Alice disappearing. Yeah. Just two months after the original, um, and then that was five years ago that Alice disappeared. Um, yeah, and so he gets everyone really scared and rolled up, and then out of nowhere, dressed as a caveman. Yeah. It's Ted. Yeah, just in case you need a proof that he's there to be annoying, he <laughs> jumps out, gives a little jump scare, dressed as a caveman. Ah. Uh, 
oh you Ted oh Ted Paul you got us ah you bastard yeah and then we get a montage of people just doing random shit uh, we get Scott having a chat with Muffin the dog the best character in the film of course can I just go back a little bit yeah because obviously it was all we're meant to believe that Paul made this all up Mm-hmm. This story to get them going. Yeah, the very accurate story. Very accurate. I, I, ex- actually, 100% <laughs> proven yeah. at the end of the film. So, do you think Paul maybe had a hand in all this? Yeah, he's Do you think Jason's he was assistant. cooking up some food for Jason, helping him in the woods? <laughs> Fucking maybe, hope maybe so. Maybe Paul was Jason's brother. I really hope that's a thing. Yeah. I want to see a part two prequel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because that it's incredibly accurate. Yeah, he knew everything. He did. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we get a montage. You get um, Scott is having a conversation with Muffin the dog. The dog is adorable. Has a little hair bands in his hair and everything. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, what's the name's dog? Yes, Terry's dog. Terry's dog. Slingshot arse girl. Yeah, uh, hot pants. Um, Ginny and Paul are playing chess. Uh, Mark's arm wrestling with everybody. Yeah. Um, who is the uh, a character in a wheelchair? The uh, character played by the gay actor, and uh, Ginny. No, that's a little further down. So Ginny I'm wins my notes. the chess. Yeah, she wins. So Ginny chess wins game. the chess game because she's the clever girl. Oh, um, and Jeff and Sandra are dancing. Yeah, really badly. Do some well. terrible dancing mm. that will. We'll only have to wait two more films before it's uh, it's topped by someone else. Yeah, and then that one's topped right afterwards. Yeah. There should be a compilation of dancing in these films. There should be, actually. Ginny's getting changed, <coughs> and uh, Paul sneaks into the cabin, and they start making out. And Ralph is still strictly following what everyone has to do in the script, and he's standing around staring at them. He certainly More is. More staring. So he's having a spy through the, um, from a tree, from a distance. I don't know how he could see that far. Well, it, it's not that far, I didn't think. I thought the tree was right outside Ginny's cabin. Mm. And Ginny's door has a window panel, hasn't it? Yeah, I suppose so they were... So he can see right in. Yeah, and they were standing right in the doorway. So, yeah. so he could see them. Yeah. And then we lose a valuable character and Ralph is strangled with barbed wire. Yeah. So, Ralph is facing the camera and the camera is facing Ginny's door where Mm. we can see Paul and Ginny in the background. So Ralph is kind of hiding behind a tree in in a sense, Mm -hmm. isn't he? Yeah. And then he gets strangled, wrapped around the tree with this barbed wire. So Big Fat Jason, who is doing this, is in actually clear view of Ginny did you not notice that? No. Like, I if she wasn't snogging Paul... She would have seen, and yeah. she would have, she would have actually seen... Yeah. This big, because, you know, Jason's a big um, figure. Yeah. She would have seen it. True, true. So if she hadn't been thinking with her pants, <laughs> or what's in her pants, and what's in Paul's pants, then problem could have been solved. Yeah. But I mean, they're not going to miss Ralph anyway. Many innocent lives <laughs> could have been saved. Well, she has beware of bears in lipstick on her uh, window. For some reason, yeah. I don't know who wrote it on there, but that's the next scene. That's because that would be Paul, because I'm assuming they got frisky. 
the night before. Oh. And the day before, he gave everyone a lecture. About bears. About bears. So don't wear perfume. And ladies, make sure you clean when you're, when it's that time of the month. Yeah, so that makes sense. It's yeah. Paul. So you just put wear. Then Paul, oh. Paul Muffin the dog runs into Jason. And uh, we get a hard cut to some sausages being cooked on a barbecue. <laughs> well, classic horror film trope. Yeah. Well, you got the joke, didn't you? Yes, I know. Hot dog. Hot dog. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you didn't say it. But, uh, yeah, but I thought it was <laughs> obvious. Sausages. Well, sausages and hot dogs are two different things. Sorry, sausage expert. <laughs> well, um, after this, Jeff and Sandra go to do the classic white people in a horror film thing and they want to go and investigate Camp Crystal Lake. Oh, yeah. But they don't get there. Um, it goes on for ages, then walk into It does, the yeah. Camp. Long travels. I don't know why we had to see this. No. Uh, Jason follows them and uh, they find a dead dog, which at this stage, I think we're meant to assume that this is Muffin. Yeah. But, and it looks like a muffin, and they're like, oh, I can't make out what this dog is. Who is that? Is that muffin? Like, it clearly looks like the dog. Yeah. Uh, a cop catches them and takes them back to the uh, to the cabin and gives them a little telling off, tells them not to go near that place. And uh, when the cop goes on his merry way, he sees Jason running into the woods. So he chases him again. It goes on for way longer than it this should have gone on. It goes on way too long. He chases him and he finds Jason's cabin. Uh, it's really run down. It's uh, a shithole. Absolute shithole. And he, uh, he, he's looking at something. You can see he's clearly shocked. We don't get to see what it is at this stage. And then he's killed with a hammer. Yes. So, yeah. So, um, the sharper side of a hammer to the side of the head. Yeah. Um, couple of questions. From all this. So, there's a point of view shot. So, Halloween is yeah. the point of view sort of film that everybody mm-hmm. uses as reference of the killer. It was obviously done before, but that's the one. So, we're made to think we are Michael Myers during that opening scene. Mm-hmm. Point of view shots in Friday the 13th, 1 and 2, so far, they are incredibly close to the actors playing the victims, the camp counsellors. Yeah. Did you not think... They are, yeah. Like, really incredibly yeah. close. And I'm like, if there's, a again, a big fat Jason mm. there, you're going to fucking see him. So I don't I don't know, what what is this meant to be? Because it feels like a point of view shot. Yeah, and the, the first one was used for mystery. You didn't mm. know who the killer was. Yeah. Why is it used in this? We all fucking know it's Jason. We know it's not Pamela Voorhees. We see her head in the first five minutes. Yeah, it's true. And then also, um, in Jason's shithole yeah. cabin, uh, there's a toilet. There is. So, number one, is this a cabin in the, right in the middle of the woods <laughs> with a toilet? Yeah. Yeah. But it have no sort of flushing system. Because they're out in the really out in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. Because obviously this police officer has been running for the last fifteen fucking minutes uh-huh. to get there. Um, is Jason using this toilet? <laughs> <laughs> um, if 
it isn't a rundown cabin and he's create and it looks like he's created this out of bits and pieces he's found. Mm-hmm. So he must have got the toilet and put it in there. <laughs> yeah, he went to Ikea and brought a toilet. <laughs> I was just like, I was saying, get it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was just, it just made me laugh because I was like, why is this fucking toilet out in the middle of the woods? And what the fuck does he care? Yeah. He's eating fucking rats and random animals. He's shit wherever he wants. It's true. Um, this Sorry. is actually this is actually the second film released, second slasher film released in 1981 where the main slasher kills an authority figure with a hammer. Mm-hmm. Halloween 2. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so the chase and the cop gets killed and Ginny, Paul and a bunch of minor characters go to a bar. Characters that you're not really yeah. going to miss. It says, I've literally written... Ted, Ted goes as well. Yeah. So what did I write down? Um, Ginny, Paul, annoying guy and everyone uh, without any character development leave. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the non-important ones go. Yeah. Um, and then anyone you need for the setup at the end of the film. Not, not that many characters in this film have had much character no. development, but these ones have had zero. Just people in the background. Kicking off a over another slasher trend, Terry goes skinny dipping. Yeah, she did. so she's gone finally because it's fucking dark now. Mm-hmm. She's finally gone searching for her dog. Yeah, um, I I don't know why you know if I had a dog, I would have been searching all day and night uh-huh. for it. Yeah, especially out in the wilderness where it could have drowned, or gotten eaten by bears. It's bear country. Um. So yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So, she stops her search for a dog, and decides it's the best time to get a bits out and yeah. go for a swim. Yeah, she gets it all out, goes for a swim, uh, and then Mark is arm wrestling again, and this is his thing apparently. Yeah, his yeah. his trope. He he's in a wheelchair and he arm wrestles, and then Vicky, um, a girl wearing a very uh, ugly purple jumper, is continuously just throwing herself. I am like yeah. she tells him she only wants his fingers, um, and uh, a little later on, uh, she asks him how he got in the wheelchair, and uh, she says, "Oh, so it's just your legs that aren't working. Is everything else okay?" <laughs> she does say that. She does say that. Um, <laughs> Scott goes spying on Terry, getting a slingshot ready again. Uh, he gets caught in a trap and uh, hung upside down. And uh, Terry agrees to go and get some help for him, to somebody. Oh, to get a knife to cut him down. Yes. And uh, he gets his throat slit with a machete. <coughs> Are you okay? Excuse me. <coughs> Something in the air. Um, yeah, and you can tell that this death was uh, cut short, can't you? Yeah. It's you know it, the the slice happens and you start to see a little bit of blood come out. Um, so I do think that that death scene was cut short. Yeah. It's quite a bloodless film, really. Well, it was 46 seconds cut specifically to avoid getting an X rating. Yeah. Um, the MPAA is very harsh on the, uh, Friday the 13th franchise. They are, actually. Very harsh. Very, very harsh. Very harsh. You get films like part one and part four that... Really got away with it. They, uh, you know, they are gory, and they didn't really have much cut from them. They, they really, you know, 
I'd say four is the goriest out of all of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then you get films like this and part seven, part eight, where there's little to no blood. This is more graphic than some of the later ones, but not by much. Part six had a lot cut as well, didn't it? Yeah. It's disappointing, really, because it these films aren't going to be masterpieces. They're, they're not. The subject matter is it's never going to you know, create, um, you know, a classic, essentially, really. Mm. Um, so, I find gore makes a film more fun. Yeah. You know? Well, uh, we don't get no gore with the next kill either. Terry finds Scott's body, oh. and then she dies by screaming at the camera. She does, <laughs> yeah, off-screen kill. And then we go back to the bar. And uh, do you know what? I feel sorry for the actress. Yeah, she got a tits out. She didn't even get a decent kill. She didn't just get a tits out. Oh, she got everything out. She got everything out in this film. I, I've always said, on my bucket list, I'd love to be in a cheap horror film. But I'd want to die in a big way. Yeah. And you know, I want my head cut off if I was going to be an actor in a film. And this poor cow, she gets her boobs and her vagina and her ass out. And she gets killed off screen. Yeah. Very very unjustified. Very unjustified. Then we go to the bar where um, the minor characters and Ginny and Paul have gone. And uh, there's a band playing. And they're clearly a fully electronic band using instruments that are all electric. But the lead singer has a fucking acoustic guitar. There's no acoustic guitar in that song at all. It also makes me laugh that they say, oh, this is the last night and the town... Yeah. Get into work tomorrow, you know, just have one last blowout. And all they go to this place, which looks really cheap, yeah. has a tiny little casino attached to the side <laughs> of it. And it's just like one bar. But it's like a cowboy bar. Yeah, it's it's really strange. It's it's like they just grabbed whoever they could find and just shoved them all in this bar at yeah, the same time. and everyone's got like cowboy hats on. Well, Ginny's had a bit too much, and somehow she knows plenty about Jason. She she's looking in on it as well. She's going full hashtag justice for Jason. Exactly. Like, what if, you know? What if he can't help it? What if this? What if that? Like, Ginny, seriously, just shut the fuck up. But yeah, so she she's there, and this is her child psychology coming out yeah. now. Um. So she says that Jason only knew his mother. Yeah. yeah. And she's saying this as if it's fact, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the story that's been going round. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's slightly different to Paul's, but on the same track. So, um, so only knew his mother. Well, that's not true. <laughs> because in the first film, he d- drowned at the camp. Yeah. So he must have known other people. Um, Jason is... Uh, oh. Oh, um... Refer Ted refers to Jason being just Alice's imagination because she um, fell out of a canoe and then over exaggerated. <laughs> she um, said that he should be full grown by now, which makes no sense. <laughs> um, yeah, and and is is he a psychopath? Uh, after he saw his mum get killed. So if he saw his mum get killed, mm-hmm. why didn't he help her? 
Well, I mean, she had her head cut off, Chris. There's yeah, not but... really much you could do. Yes. He's not going to sew it back on, is he? Yes, but that was a very fucking long scene between her and Alice in the first film. Yeah, but... A very long back and forth. Mm. So, he must have seen his mum get killed whilst he was a, a child, like, at the end of the film. Well, that's what they do in the remake. When they show you him watching his mum get killed. He saw his mum get killed. And he was a child, yeah. Yeah. Even though, apparently, he drowned in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah, so 30 years later, he's still a child. (laughs) And, yeah, and she didn't know that he was alive. (laughs) (laughs) He's just been watching her all this time. Uh, But he's a child. Watched his mum get killed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then grows super fast. And exacts Ooh, his... So our table moving. And gets his revenge on Alice. Okay, I get it. But then decides to also get revenge on random people who aren't at Chris, Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah. They're at another part of the lake. Yeah, it is just a, it's a great example of not planning sequels. Yeah. Um, but it just, it's just... And, and I, I understand this is Friday the 13th Part 2... And I am well over analysing it and I should just sit here and watch the film and have fun. Which is which is what I do, you know, I sit here and, and watch the film and have fun. But it's fucking stupid because yeah. I'm sat here and it's hard to have fun because in the back of my head, I'm like, this makes no sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe it's just me who can't overlook it. No, I get it. I do get it. I mean, like I said, even the, the makers of the first film have said themselves that they're disappointed with the plot of it because yeah. it didn't make any sense. No. Um, I mean, it doesn't really fix itself either as they go on. They just pretty much just work with what they've got from this point onwards. Yeah. Just, which, is, is which is what I think the remake does right. Um, you know, they explain that timeline yeah. from him being a child watching his mum get killed to uh and that was after that happened in the remake that happens after he drowns okay so that is in the 50s or uh, whenever it was set in the remake okay so it happens pretty much straight away so that yeah. makes sense as to how she wouldn't know that he was still alive mm. and then obviously you got all the years later when he's got his bag on his head and then the hockey yeah it's explained much better yeah and i think they fixed it because it was fans of the franchise that wrote it I think they fixed it in that way. Um, but back to part two. Um, yes. Jeff is seducing Sandra with a harmonica. Oh, yeah. And Mark and Vicky are having a kiss. Uh, but Vicky... She finally gets to, away. Yeah. She wants to uh, prepare herself. So she goes, puts on some sexy knickers. <laughs> yeah, she does. What does she do then? She, she gives herself a little spritz with some perfume. And She's it's not allowed country, to do. So she shouldn't be able to. And then thinks, oh, where have I missed? And she sprays her fanny with her <laughs> perfume. <laughs> she just gives herself a spray down in her knickers. Yeah, got to make sure. Got to be careful. You know, there's a good chance it's going to go down there. Yeah, so. It ain't going to taste nice, though, for him. <laughs> well, um, she does the classic Friday the 13th thing and walks around outside in her underwear. Oh, yeah. She goes to get something from her car with her knickers on full display. Yeah, doesn't decide to put anything on to and go fucking, outside. But well, she's got a fucking ugly sweater on the top half of her. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get a very iconic death scene. Yes. So Mark is, uh, he hears a noise outside. Um, goes to investigate a strange goes noise. Goes to investigate a strange noise in his wheelchair. And uh, we just randomly get a machete to the head. Yeah. And uh, he's pushed down the stairs. 
Yeah, so this, the force of the machete to, to the face, really. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Pushes him back and he falls down some extremely steep stairs that we haven't been made aware of prior <laughs> yeah. to the scene. <laughs> I don't know where they came from. I'm not... Yeah, I thought I, it was ground floor, but... Yeah, okay. but I'm, genu- I'm, I'm actually sat here and I'm like, did we see those stairs? No, we didn't. Please correct us if we did, but I don't think I we don't did. I don't think we did. This is the first time we see, and the last time we see, these <laughs> incredible... It's like the fucking exorcist steps, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is very steep. But it's a really cool scene, and he falls backwards and his wheelchair goes down the stairs yeah. you get the lens flare that you get in the first film when there's a death scene yeah um uh, and that scene and the next death scene you get to see how good the practical effects are in this film and these are really the only two chances you get to see it yeah which is a shame because again with all the cuts and everything i think yeah. missed a lot out and this makes this this is what makes the film memorable yeah is these good death scenes yeah you know, it's a horror film we want to see this shit yeah well, what we don't want to see is Sandra, um, Sandra and Jeff are getting it on, and she's sucking his Adam Adam's apple. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that was an odd scene. Um, Jason didn't like it either, so he goes in and shoves a spear through to both of them. Yeah, so the spear from earlier when Ted was dressed as a caveman. Yeah. Uh, but they're sort of together on the bed, aren't they? With yeah. her on, uh, uh, him on top. And this is a this is a death scene taken directly from Bay of Blood, the Mario Bava film, and I think they openly admitted that mm. and spears them both, and the spear goes right through the bed, and we see the spearhead under the bed. Yeah, great scene. Yeah. Um. If 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 it was just a direct, a direct copy. Yeah. Um. Paul and Ginny have had enough at the bar. They've had far too much now. So they leave Ted there. Ted survives the film. We don't see him again. Fucking annoying. Yeah. He, uh, he survives. That's stays it. at the bar to get drunk. Ted survives. And uh, Paul, a responsible adult who runs a training session for camp counsellors to set a good, expre- uh, good example, he drink drives Ginny home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Vicky investigates uh, what's going on. She finds Sandra... And uh, Sandra's dead, of course. Uh, but no, no, she doesn't find Sandra, sorry. She goes to Sandra and Jeff's room. Mm-hmm. Um, she thinks they're under the bed and goes over to him. But Jason jumps out of the bed. And this is the first time we actually get to see what he looks like. Yeah, so there's a baghead under the sheets. Yeah, he jumps out and uh, he kills Vicky. And he's wearing some black nail varnish. He is. Yeah. For some reason. No, I think it's like a, a bruised fingernail. Well, I think he's just going new wave. Well, there we go. <laughs> to fit with the times. But yeah, so this death scene's... Yeah. Um, she's standing at the edge of the room for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he's going at her really slowly with this, like, butcher knife. And she's just sort of screaming, but she's not really fucking doing anything. No. And then just gets stabbed off screen. Ginny and Paul return after this and they find the bloody bed. Um... <laughs> And then Jason has a fight with Paul. A very, uh, very long fight that Ginny just watches. Yeah, this annoyed me a little this bit. This is before she becomes a badass. This yeah. is slightly She's before. Just sort of like, it's like, well, help him out, love. Yeah, she just watches and says his name a few times. Um, she escapes and she does the classic final girl thing. She finds some dead bodies, finds Ralph. Um, she runs out to the car and Jason pops up by the car. Uh, he shoves his now his new weapon of choice. Where the fuck's he getting all these weapons? From? I don't know where he got pitchfork. Like from. these these yeah. weapons are just appearing out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but he shoves a pitchfork through the roof, 
and uh, she runs away from the car. Uh, she kicks Jason in the balls. She does. Now, this is when she starts being a good final girl. Yeah. She beats the shit out of him. She kicks him in the balls, first of all. A lot of chasing, unsurprisingly. Yeah, just uh, a lot of her evading him repeatedly. Yeah. She goes back to the cabin, and uh, one of the cabins, and she hides under the bed. Yeah. She sees a rat, which makes her piss herself. Yeah, and this, do you know what? I thought this was a, a, a nice touch to it because we, we watch a lot of horror films and, you know, she's been out drinking. She's had a fair <laughs> few drinks. Yeah. If I was in that situation, I probably would have been absolutely desperate for a piss. <laughs> so the poor, poor love, she, she pisses from under the bed and the trail of piss goes from under the bed, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and Jason spies it. And knows that she's under there. So he climbs up on a chair. Um, <laughs> yeah. For some reason. Yeah. But he has to be on the chair for this next scene to work. <laughs> so she crawls out of the bed. And he goes to hit her. And his chair just breaks. Yeah. And then it becomes almost slapstick. She grabs a chainsaw. And starts chasing him around with it. Whilst he's fighting her off. Yeah. Why is he on that fucking chair? I don't know why I'm he's on the chair. It's so that she doesn't know that he's there. But this is... Stand like, on the bed. Yeah, I, what I don't get is that Jason's meant to be this, uh, you know, backwards guy that's been living in the woods for all these years. He's eating rats, uh, raw, and stuff like that. He's he's meant to be feral, about, you yeah. know, pretty much. But he's, like, got the stealth of, you know, a ninja. Yeah. And but he's he also really clumsy of it. Yeah, but what really he should have done was just move the bed. Just move the bed, just grab her. Like, you have a pitchfork. She hasn't. Why yeah. on that fucking chair? The, do what you do in the video game. Put the pitchfork through the bed. <laughs> yeah. If you know she's underneath there, just kill yeah. her. But no, he stands on a chair. Break hit breaks. Takes gets, a tumble. Gets attacked with a chainsaw. In one of the funniest scenes of the franchise, <laughs> and uh, Ginny runs away from the cabin. And she, she finds Jason's cabin. She miraculously, she miraculously so finds this cabin that's in the middle of nowhere. She's so lucky. Um, and she finds what the cop was looking at earlier, which is a shrine dedicated to Pamela Voorhees. Yes. So we, we see Hot Pants as well. She's yeah. dead lying next to her. But it's Pamela Voorhees' head and her iconic sweater <laughs> uh, in the middle of the room. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, Ginny decides to finally put that child psychology degree to use. Yes. Yes. She puts on Pamela's sweater and uh, Jason walks in and she's like, it's all done, Jason. Mummy is pleased now. And uh, says, come to mummy. And then we get to see Betsy Palmer. Yes. You know, it's not Betsy Palmer. <laughs> We've got to pretend it's not her because she didn't do it. But yeah, so what? whatever um, Ginny's saying... Betsy Palmer is some sort of overlay on the camera. Yeah, I don't so know. this is what Jason what the shot's called. Yeah, um, and yeah, so Betsy Palmer has a little moment in this. Yeah, film. so Jason, Jason's mother is talking to you, and uh, he kneels to her. So this is the only way to kill Jason in the video game, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this is again, this is something else that's done in the remake as well. Mm. Um. But yeah, it's it's a very clever way of doing things. I do think this is some good writing here, despite all the uh, inconsistencies and everything. I think this is a, a moment of a 
of an achievement for the writer of this film. Because... Yeah, this is a clever way for Ginny to survive, essentially. Yeah. Because she would have been dead otherwise. And it's been done in um, it's been done in other films. This was done in uh, the boy. I think it was done in the messengers, if I remember right. Random reference there, maybe House okay. of Wax. Um, it, it's something that has been done a few times. It's very influential, where a character takes on the role of um, you know, a more superior adult in the killer's life and mm. takes control of them, and it's it's good. Yes. Yeah. It's a nice psychological twist. One little question, and mm-hmm. I know I asked this at the time when we were watching it, but if Jason has Pamela's head and her sweater, mm-hmm. and he watched her die, <laughs> and the police know that she's dead, yeah. <laughs> then did the police find her without her jumper on, <laughs> so in her bra, and with her head, head missing? <laughs> Like, so how... Yeah. Yeah. And where was Alice during all this when her sweater and head were being stolen? It's true. Is that when she was in the... Well, no. When did Jason get a chance to do it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose she did sleep in the boat. She did sleep in the boat. So maybe during the night... He he probably had the head and jumper in the water with him. Yeah. (laughs) And Pamela Voorhees was found in a bra. I'm assuming she's wearing one. The idea was well written. The execution um, of... Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I'm just picking at straws, to be funny. Ginny lifts the machete up, which she now has, um, from somewhere. Where are the fucking weapons appearing from in this I film? It's like a fucking video game. It's like you could just randomly find weapons. Um, I mean, this is the woods. Like, what <laughs> are these out here? Yeah, where did like, that machete come from? <laughs> This is something I've heard on other podcasts as well. Like, Jason's very resourceful. Like, he just randomly finds shit whenever he needs it. Yeah. Like, what was that massive thing he has in uh, part seven? Oh, what's that? That's running off some sort of electricity, but it's in the middle of the woods. Oh, and yeah. Even Kane Hodder has said he doesn't know why that was there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then now what happens is that Ginny swings at him... And he's suddenly got a pickaxe. Yeah, he's got a pickaxe. pickaxe. Randomly got a pickaxe out of nowhere. He turns to the side and the machete hits the pickaxe rather than him. Yeah, and Paul bursts through the room and he's like, Ginny! Ginny! And um, (laughs) Paul survived somehow. Um, Paul and Jason go for round two. Uh, Yeah, they have another little scuffle. And uh, Ginny stabs Jason in the shoulder with a machete. So a lot of this could have been prevented if she'd miraculously found this magical machete (laughs) before when Paul and Jason had their first scuffle. I know, yeah. Well, that's when she was a wimp. She's changed since then. She's changed woman now. She's changed. It's um, that jumper. It's brought the breath. Yeah. Brought, brought the breath. Uh, excuse me. Brought the... Brought, what? Brought the best out in her. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. Uh, um, so she leaves the machete in Jason's shoulder. Yeah. And uh, she pulls off his mask. And she's like, oh my God. But we don't get to see what he looks like. Saving that. Paul carries her out of there. You know, she worked really hard. <laughs> She has just pissed herself, though. True. So I'm wondering if, you know, she'd warn Paul about that. <laughs> well, he puts her in bed. Um, and we find out Muffin survived. Yes, there's an, a strange noise at the door. They take a very, very long time to open it. They're all prepared for Jason to return. And it's Muffin. Yes. But in the stunt that caused a lot of pain, Jason launches through the window without his mask on, looking like a caveman. 
looking suspiciously like that mask that Ted wore earlier on. Mm. Like, very similar. Jumps through the window, grabs Ginny uh, in the same style as the first film. And Ginny uh, then wakes up and is taken away in an ambulance. Yeah, so she wakes up. And so we cut to her in a... Um, oh, what are they called? Is it a gurney? She's in a stretcher. Stretcher, yeah. On a stretcher. Yeah, on a stretcher. It was a gurney then. I think that's in the hospital. Uh, she's on a stretcher and she's saying, where's Paul? Where's Paul? Where she's been taken away by an ambulance. Mm. And then... Yeah, fuck muffins, drag. We cut to uh, a good friend, of, an old friend of the Christie's yeah. head. we get a head. Yeah, and then they cut to the end credits. Mm. Which is, it's a little confusing. It's weird. I don't know whether that was meant to be a dream I or... think what they were going for is that the dead dog was probably Muffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that Ginny dreamt all that last part. Maybe. And that Paul probably did die in the scuffle. Well, apparently on the back cover okay. um, of the VHS, there's a shot of Paul with a uh, machete gash in his face. Okay. So I think he was meant to have been killed in it, but somehow got cut. Oh, which makes the ending really confusing. Yeah, and what makes the ending even more confusing is the fact that originally Pamela was meant to open her eyes and mouth. Because that's actually someone playing that role. Oh, shit. It's not actually a, a model of her head. It's oh, somebody my God. In, in is that actually somebody? <laughs> the, the fridge shot, that's a model. But, um, yeah. yeah, this is actually somebody under that table. Oh, wow. And it was she was going to open her eyes, but apparently it looked too weird, so they had to cut it. <laughs> wow. And that's Friday the 13th Part 2. That is Friday the 13th Part 2. Like I said, one of the better sequels. Yeah, it's not probably, bad. It's probably within my top five yeah. favourite films of the franchise it's, near the end. It's a silly one, but it, it's it's fun in parts. The good bits override the bad bits. Yeah. So overall, it's a decent one. It, it Yeah, it's probably up there with um, the better of the sequels. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we will be back for Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D, uh, but that'll be like November, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a long time till the next Friday the 13th. Yeah. So, until then, we will be back every week as normal. Yeah. We are back on Tuesday, and Chris, have you decided a film yet? No, I haven't, and you okay. caught me well, off. I didn't think you would ask me. Stay posted, and we will announce the film soon. I didn't prepare for this exam. Um, yeah, so... As always, if you're on social media, we're on Horacult Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horacult Trash on Twitter. Let us know your favourite your favorite Friday the 13th film. Uh, what's your favourite kill in this film? My favourite kill in this film is... Machete Face. Yeah, the wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. same. Uh, what's your favourite kill from this film? Let us know. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us a rate, review, subscribe, like and follow on everything else. I'm Gazmo205 on Instagram. Instagram? Instagram. <laughs> GazCruise92 on Twitter and DeadAtGaz92 on Letterboxd. I am ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd, Twitter and Instagram. Shut your mouth. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so uh, we will see you on Tuesday. Bye. Fucking hell. Music play. (laughs) We'll see you on Tuesday.